Here we go. I'm recording. You're recording. Everybody's recording. Oh man, I saw something about how you could... There was somebody who was talking about why you shouldn't wear masks, and it was because you could catch the coronavirus from yourself. That was like a real article I read. That that sounds like some of the uh, wise counsel I'm seeing on Facebook every once in a while. No! Oh, so terrible. <laughs> oh, that's just... Man... It's really hard to catch a disease from yourself, just just for everybody. It's like a general rule of thumb. How much money does it take to solve our technical difficulties? For me, about $30. Per month? No. Oh, that's it's like a license. Yeah, it's an app within the iPod store. Uh, so you're all moved in? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we're moved into the temporary apartment, which is furnished, so all our stuff is basically still up in some warehouse in Spokane. But, yeah, we're moved in. We're trying to figure out, like, kind of, we were taught, I mean, we had, like I told you, we'd been thinking we'd just rent at first. Mm -hmm. But after kind of this first week being over here, looking at the housing market, and looking at interest rates, looking at... You're going to buy, aren't you? The cost... We're thinking about it. Mm, okay. I still need to run the numbers on what the break-even point is for when you're paying interest. When, when you add up interest and property taxes and then compare that to how much you're paying in rent, like where the break-even point is there. Well, I, I know at this point it's way cheaper to buy a house over here than it is to rent. Yeah, it's not quite to that. Well, I mean, it depends on what you get, but sure, per, it's pretty close but the other thing is like what kind of house you're getting like sure you can get a student living quarters for like super cheap okay want to get a house that's like suitable for or more suitable for a family with a kitchen that your wife will actually want to or you would want to cook stuff in um and i save there (laughs) anyway just that you would want to cook yeah that somebody would want to cook in yeah. It's a lot more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So my brother-in-law is getting married here in a month or so, and they're moving into... It's a mobile home. It's not uh-huh. fantastically nice. It's not a dump either, though, but I think they're going to pay $1,800 a month to live there. Wow. In Vancouver? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's wow. not even in like a... It's not even like downtown or... It's it's kind of near St. John's and 88th, like that area. Yeah. It's Any not, mobile so it's, home here, you knock a thousand dollars off of that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first place that my wife and I rented was six hundred and fifty bucks a month. It was a tiny one bedroom. It was fine. Yeah, it was like six fifty nine. They raised it to a thousand dollars after we'd lived there for a year, and we basically that was we left, and that was when we moved to the duplex. Okay. But yeah, I just uh, yeah, it was, I was a little blown away when I was talking with them because that's. We had a bad deal with PMI, and we were also paying our insurance and taxes on our house payment. Like, and that was about that much. But you're also putting equity in. You've also seen appreciation on that value. Oh, I'm not. Com- I'm not complaining, especially since we refinanced. We're paying. No, no, no I, that, that, I'm. I'm agreeing with you that uh-huh. you you guys had a even as as expensive as that seemed. You guys had a much better deal than someone who's renting a mobile mm-hmm. which is yeah. really weird to think about mm-hmm. yeah and so yeah that's exactly the, the same thing we're looking at and and the other thing is the housing market is so tight here it's like you can't look and then go get approved for a loan and then get something you basically have to be like approved 
fully in looking mode and then things go pending mm. within a week yeah it's still days. pretty much the same over here uh my co-worker's been looking for a house for i don't know two months or something i don't know how mm-hmm. long exactly they've put seven offers down and often they at, at for the last two or three, they were basically not... They'd offered 10 above, and they came in fourth. What? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's quite that bad here, but... Yeah, and typically, they would they would decide to do an offer, but they wouldn't even be able to because there was already a pending sale. Like, they had that experience quite a bit. And I think the only reason that they... They finally got an approved offer. They finally put in an offer, and... They took think, it. They took it, and I think a big part of the reason that turned people away is that the house is painted, like, puke green. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's hard to solve. Yeah, yeah, that's a difficult problem. Oh, paint. What do we do? Sketchy foundation, buy it. (laughs) Puke green paint? Uh, Not so sure. Not interested. Yeah, no, it's... People are so funny. It is. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that... I think... My wife and I are kind of the same way right. in that we would just decide to buy the puke greenhouse, but then life gets in the way and you end up living in a puke greenhouse for a while unless you've... Pay someone else to do it. Unless you, yeah, essentially, if you pay somebody else to do it or you've budgeted that in the house sale, you say, okay, we're buying this for, let's use some fun numbers and not not where they're actually at. We're going to pay 200 for this house and we're actually going to end up paying, I think, 210 or... You know, you actually you actually can get houses over here for 200 um, they tend to be small, but they, they'll have a basement. So it's like two 800 square foot dwelling spaces stacked on top of each other. That sounds amazing. You cannot get a house for 200 over here unless it is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> like the I, Navy. <laughs> I, I, there is a, there is a dump of a house that's probably half a mile from our house. Uh-huh. And just, just because of where it's at, I'm sure I would be surprised if it went for less than 200, but it needs to be completely torn down because it's so bad. Yeah. But it's Vancouver and Portland's not that far away. And they've been tearing homes down in downtown Vancouver for years and Portland for years. Feedback? Ladies do not have different cones in their eyes. You remember how you were talking about how, well, I said it and you didn't disagree. This was part of the last podcast. This is feedback on our podcast. Okay. Did we say they have different cones in their eyes? I did. And you did, you didn't disagree, but they just oh, have more. Right. Anyway. The difference is in the rods versus the cone. I, I believe men have more rods. And see, my wife will know exactly and she'll say, meh. Um, so my wife has listened a little bit to Hello Internet. And okay. she was like, oh, Kyle kind of has more of the honey uh, voice like CGP Grey and you have more kind of like the the Brady voice, which is a little more uh, harsh or high, pit. you know, it's just like, <laughs> 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 so she just, uh, you, you just have a nice voice. I just thought that was funny. Well, thank you, Daniel's wife. <laughs> I don't know that she would super appreciate me telling you, but I'll tell her that you said thank you. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you picked a good co-host for your your podcast, so that you can continue to emulate your your podcasting idols. They, uh, can we not use the word idols? <laughs> My whole new job is is designing systems that can withstand more heat than you'd expect a computer to take, and more vibration than you would ever expect a computer to take. When you said electricity, this is probably because of where I where we live. I think of immediately hydroelectricity, but 
I know lots of places don't use hydroelectricity. Most places. Yeah, most places don't. It's why it's why we have so many tech companies up here because it's cheap. And there's water. You need two things for servers: water cooling and cheap electricity. So do they use the rivers to? Oh yeah. Cool the. Uh, that's why all the salmon are dying. No, seriously. Like, it raises the water temperature because they just... Oh, I know. I mean, you're essentially... You've got... I mean, I don't I don't know the purpose of the cooling necessarily, but, you know, you're, you're, you're spinning these... Turbines. I know so little about electricity, it's amazing that I... Electricity is generated by spinning very large turbines at very high speed, and so it, it spins a magnetic field backwards from a, the way an electric motor would spin, mm-hmm. which then produces useful electricity so you're essentially with magic winding up a wind-up toy and then releasing that and that's the energy that allows us to record podcasts is that yep might that might be an oversimplification but no that's that's a great analogy (laughs) all right well when you're seriously when you're explaining it to your son in three years you can you can do that you can you can take it use it freely it's going to have to wait till three years for me to explain that to him. I, I don't know. Will he be designing computers at that age? Probably. You know. you know what? At the rate things are going. Actually, I mean, computer, yeah. The the, the barrier to en- for entry for, for coding and basically making useful things with computers is coming down so fast. Mm. Yeah, I'd expect him to be able to create some pretty cool things before he makes it into junior high. Awesome. I uh, have no idea how young children learn things at what ages so it's not like i think your son is dumb it's probably it's just i'm i was just pulling your leg that's okay you know that i know do you want me to laugh for you no that's okay not at this time okay don't laugh check happy fourth of july happy fourth of july kyle how are you doing this morning i'm awake and beautiful on the beautiful palouse palouse is that are you on a river so there is the Palouse River that flows into Palouse Falls, but the Palouse is the general name for the overall region that includes Moscow and Pullman and the rolling hills that are featured on the Windows XP um, background. That's where Bill Gates is from, right? No. Bill Gates is from the east side of Lake Washington. Or no, mm. sorry, he's he's from uh, Mercer Island. He currently resides on the east side of Lake Washington. How do you... you just... You just have all this, it's not even necessarily knowledge, just information about so many different things. Anyway, you're on the Palouse, though. You moved over there about a week ago. Now you're all settled in. You moved your family of, we're not going to say how many. It's too many to count. Well, that goes with the territory. <laughs> yeah, so your first week of working at your your new new fancy job. Yep. And it's the 4th of July. Do you guys have, uh, do you have rules of fireworks over there? Or no, not really? I'm sure there are rules. My guess is no. No, I think there are actually pretty strict rules. Whether they're enforced, like most places, is kind of, it's not a big thing. This year, the city of Vancouver hired a security company to go and hand out $500 tickets to everybody in the city limits who is using fireworks that's that's sort of funny because i feel like some people spend so much on fireworks that they would just roll that 500 dollars into their bill for celebrating the fourth yeah that would not surprise me especially knowing a handful of people who it's like it seems like i i end up spending time with or knowing people who for whatever holiday like that's their holiday so i've been to somebody's house who spends ten thousand dollars or something and they have, they typically will have like one to 300 people over. They own this like field in 
Vancouver proper and right. they, they spend the month previous to the fourth. It's essentially a professional fireworks show, but it's just this one guy's hobby. Yeah. Right? I'm sure yep. that he doesn't buy from the fireworks stands. He knows so buys directly from Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I mean I'm sure he's not a big a big deal to those wholesalers, but anyway. And then I've been to somebody's house for Christmas who will spend, you know, the month or something previous. I like I, I counted as I was walking through her house, something like 300 Santa Clauses. Her living room, have you ever seen the, you know how there's like a, you know, you'll put like a white felt down and then you'll put a little house. Yeah, yeah. There's probably a hundred of those in her living room and she had built a scaffolding and made this hillside of those houses. It was an entire village. And Did she have kids? Uh, grown kids, yeah. But they, she had a three-car garage. Her, I mean, she was married. Her, her husband was fine with it. Obviously, he had. They had a three-car garage, and it was entirely filled with Christmas decorations. Yep. It was. Anyway, so it's like, and then I feel like I know people that Halloween is their thing, and it's just like I don't. Yeah, it's just it's interesting. I've my wife always wants like a few more Christmas decorations, and I'm like, then we need to get rid of some. I don't want to have more than like a few boxes. Right. I don't know. Do you guys do you guys decorate or do you get really excited about any of the holidays? I would think no, but you you've seen our decorations. Oh, I like the way you guys decorate. It's very minimalist. It was very minimalist. Didn't you guys for a tree one year just like hang a branch on the wall? Essentially, my wife did a little bit more than that, but in essence it was branches cut into the shape of a tree that was hung on the wall with ornaments and lights. See, that sounds nice. I was telling her she needs to get on um, Etsy and and put some plans together and then just sell the plans for it. She probably could. That's kind of an interesting segue into... We can continue to talk about the fourth if you'd like, but and also an interesting... I want to follow your segue. Uh, Naval podcast talked about creating assets and assets oh, yes. that you... That it doesn't cost anymore to sell one more widget. In this case, plans for DIY Christmas trees. Yep. Yeah. Have you? So, so we both listened to the Naval podcast, How to Get Rich, every episode, which is like three and a half hours. Yeah, it was three and a half hours. The number 342 sticks in my head, but that could be from something else. No, I think you're right. Look at me remembering numbers. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. So, you, you took some notes. Do you want to share that? Or do you want to just, like, you want to talk about general impressions first? Maybe we should, let's talk about general impressions. The notes are, I mean, the notes I took were essentially quotes that okay. stood out to me for, for different reasons. And they could all take a take a fair amount of time to discuss, potentially. Because they're essentially starting quotes that I thought were good starting points for discussion. Yeah, so I don't know Naval's first name. I think it's... It is Naval. I don't know Naval's last name then. And I think it was something... Robicron. Mm-hmm. That's the one. I'm not going to try and say it. A very, very high-level kind of thought. There was, I think there was a lot of really valuable things that I could pluck out for me. He, he said this uh, somewhere in the beginning. I named this How to Get Rich, but really it's about wealth creation it's just not that's not near as catchy right he he said it was clickbaity to say how to get rich how to get rich yeah but the kind of wealth creation that he is interested in making i am not and it's not because i think that wealth creation is evil or something along those lines but i think the kinds of sacrifices that he is willing to make and has been willing to make i am not right 
And it was interesting, he acknowledged that later on, one of the quotes I have, or paraphrases I have from him is that physical, mental health and relationships are worth more than money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he says that kind of towards the end. Higher form of wealth. I think he even says that you, you know, once you've created wealth, you'll realize it's not all you need or it's not what you want. Right. He said he'll realize it's not what you want. Mm hmm. And I would just rather, like, he, he I'm not going to say he derided or, or mocked li- uh, lifestyle businesses. He just said that, that that wasn't what he wanted. And he had a point as to why. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Okay, so, so the point he made is that ultimately to run any business, it requires a lot of your attention and a lot of time. And whether it's, I think he used the example of Tesla or three Italian restaurants, which obviously restaurants are in a bit of a pickle right now, but (laughs) even outside of everything that's impacting restaurants right now, the amount of time it takes you to run, like you as an individual to run three Italian restaurants is about the same as the amount of time it takes you to run Tesla or a similarly large company. Um, Mm. The difference is how much revenue the different things are bringing in. So how much money you have available to purchase other people's time to delegate to them. Do you think he's right? Maybe not on the Tesla side of things, although running a restaurant, from what little I know, does take quite a bit of time. I think it depends on the kind of restaurant that you're trying to make. Because I know there's this sandwich shop in downtown Vancouver, Uh and the same person has owned it for a long time. Right. She... She is a. She knows what she wants. She's and she's not trying to grow the business. She is open from like eleven to three, or something like that. Right. She doesn't do dinner. She does. Rec- she does lunch, and that's it. Right. And caters. Okay. And she, yeah, and it's just like those are the things that she does. I think that if you're trying to run a, you know, if you're trying to, whatever she's doing is working for her. And I honestly, I don't think that she works eighty hours a week. I also know I. I I think if you're trying to start a business and you're not 100% sure what your value is, then, and you're trying to figure that out, it's kind of like when I was starting that business doing Excel stuff. Right. I was willing to basically do anything. And so I did a lot of things that I was not particularly efficient at. And I, I learned a lot, but I also spent a lot more time than I needed to figuring out what, where my, where, and this is, this is a phrase that Naval used, which was, felt like play to me but work to others yep and there was the things that i did not as well or poorly i felt like work to me and felt like work to others and they were just straight delegating unpleasant tasks whereas certain things with excel i just like it was like playing a piano right to to sound like a total geek but that's fine but that's what gave you your unique advantage it gives you your unique advantage yeah yeah. I mean, if you can find something that feels like play and people are willing to pay you to do it, it's not always going to feel like play, but it may a lot of the time. And that's, you know, work it. It will help you develop the passion necessary to push through those times when it doesn't feel like play. Yeah, man. I was listening to this, uh, this other, it was far, it was a Farnham Street blog and it was talking about how. Okay. It's talking about the difference between, and it's actually a book we may go through in, in book group. Uh, I just, I liked the author and he was talking with, uh, I think it's Shane Parish, I think is, is the, the author of Farnham Street, but the book is called Tiny Habits. Okay. And he uh, was talking about how 
you can, um, what was the word he used? Is essentially that motivation and competency uh, are partners and, oh, compensatory. That was the word that he spent. He said he, he spent 10 years or eight years or something trying to figure out where you're highly motivated and unskilled. You can push through and do that thing. And if you're highly skilled and not very motivated, it's so easy that you can just do the thing. And it's like this slider scale to where, you know, as long as those two things meet, as long as you're not very low skilled and very low motivated, like you're not going to do that thing. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. That makes total sense. And I've seen that in other places. Yeah. It's a, yeah. And so he even talked about how if you're trying to instill a habit and you're low skilled and low motivated, you need to make the habit much tinier. And even to do kind of a self check each day to say, how motivated am I to do that? Let's say that you're trying to do a workout. You're trying to instill a workout routine let's just say okay you know at the beginning of the day you might check in on yourself yeah exactly check in say how motivated am i uh how skilled am i so you're you kyle are more skilled at um you're much more body intelligent than i am like you you know how to move you're just anyway you just are except when i dislocate my shoulder but yeah yeah i have a slight advantage because i'm not as physical in general so i don't dislocate things i know where everything is (laughs) but yeah so you could check in to see you know on a one to five or one to one to ten how motivated motivated am i to do this this physical thing and if you're you're at a one maybe you go for a walk and if you're at a 10 you're like i'm going to max out on pull-ups and deadlifts until until i can hardly move or you know i don't i don't know that's probably a poor example that tracks with you the until you can hardly move i think i got distracted by the until you can hardly move thing which well okay fine not until you hardly move but you could max you could i think that there is a max reps thing that you could do when you're working out where you you have a max weight and you can only do two or three of those weights correctly i guess that's that's what i'm thinking and and he would say maybe maybe don't while you're trying to build a habit while you're trying to build competency and instill a habit don't don't try that if you're at a really low motivation Mm, don't overrun your energy yeah yeah and that's a that's an interesting it's i just when i've heard people talk about motivation i have heard them talk about how you how it's a a depletable resource right yes but i think that there's a and this is another thing that they talked about was there's kind of a a motivation wave and you'll feel more motivated and less Mm -hmm. motivated and more you know depending on probably depending on your how you slept and what you've been eating and you know all the different things that kind of are difficult to quantify but getting more easy to quantify with technology yeah Mm -hmm. and we could talk about how helpful or unhelpful that is because you've actually spent some time doing that at least on the the eating side of things Mm -hmm. so i am sort of curious i'm not sure exactly where this fits in with what we had planned to talk about but but since since we're on the topic i am curious if you as you were journaling and also essentially food journaling Mm -hmm. if you came away with some helpful takeaways that have led to principles for how you eat based off of what you learned about correlations between the food you were consuming when you were consuming it and how how you felt how your what what your peak and motivation waves were and and how long your motivation waves lasted i'd say my in general my motivation waves last probably a month for different things it's easier to turn the it's easier to get traction with physical things than it is with 
emotional or mental uh, pushes. Do you think that's because we can see the outcome? Yeah, probably. Like you can see a house getting framed. You you can't necessarily see a database getting put together. Hmm. I mean, there's just, I mean, you can, if you know what you're looking at, I think you can see a database getting put together. Okay. But as far as a, unless you're talking about an emotional database or a, again, things that are very qualitative as opposed to quantitative. Is that what you're getting at? That's that's fair. Yeah, I probably should have gone more with the emotional side of things. Yeah, they're just unrelational. Emotional, relational, um, those are those are much more difficult to get uh, get a grip on. Uh, some of the things that I came away with is that figuring out your calorie intake. One, I don't really. I know that this is not a health oriented necessarily way to look at things, but your weight is a function of how much you move and what calories you intake, regardless of how you intake those calories, whether it be butter, fried chicken, or uh, veggies. And that may not be true, but that's generally true. So this is actually kind of what I was getting at with my question about the the motivation waves. Mm-hmm. And then you were thinking more about basically how long over time a motivation wave is lasting. I was thinking more about in a particular day when you are most motivated, you have the most energy to uh. do a task and how that re- relates to what you're eating. Because if you eat a stick of butter, I would be willing to bet that your energy for tasks is high is going to be lower than if you ate the same calories of chicken and rice, for example. Maybe I know that I in a in a day I have the most the most motivation uh, right. early afternoon, which is mm-hmm. frustrating to me because I naturally wake up at like six okay i have to do low energy things in the morning and then and then things start to pick up and do you skip lunch uh three days a week i skip lunch do you find that those three days a week are higher motivation early afternoon or no change no change off the top of my head but that is something that i can take a look at i'm just wondering because that was i can't remember if it came up in naval's podcast but i was listening to actually Rogan interview Henry Rollins, who is uh, actually a heavy metal rocker. <laughs> Rollins pointed... That's interesting that you decided to download that Joe Rogan podcast, because I definitely don't download all of his. Or listen to it. Yeah, listen, rather. I was listening to it on YouTube, but... Okay. Yeah, and I don't remember I don't remember what drew me to that particular podcast. Oh, I think it may have been... It was probably a different podcast where that guy came up, and I thought, huh, he would be interesting to listen to. And he was very interesting to listen to. One of the, one of the biggest takeaways from that podcast for me that relates to what we're talking about right now is he said that when he really wanted to get something done, he would skip whatever meal came before that task or he would work through that meal. He would essentially fast food-wise so that he could have 100% of his energy directed towards the task at hand and none of the energy going towards digesting food. That kind of tracks with what we... You're totally focused on on the hunt, and you wouldn't be right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have eaten because you you need to you know you need to right capture the wildebeest or whatever. Of course, there's a there's a careful balance there where you can't go too long without eating, or else you'll become very bad at hunting. That is true, but I think that's like three days. I think anything beyond yeah, that, depending on the output of energy. Mm, yeah, I guess. I, I guess I have a little bit of extra energy that I have you know tucked away for. 
for emergencies and where uh yeah i'm wondering if 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 we're talking about like that long a term you are i I have just said more physically fit than i am but you think like on a on a scale of like three days because i i I have some some packed away energy that i would do better and like a long distance thing if, if it was like you couldn't eat i think you may be right assuming your body could slip into ketosis without just smashing you oh i know it i know it can because i've done that okay so as long as you have that ability, then I think you're exactly right that you could last longer in an endurance event, hmm. which is interesting that you bring that up because the situation I was thinking of that I'd read about where a lack of food actually hampered an, an army was it, was, it was in a book called Why the West Has Won. And it was this particular uh, section was detailing the Boer War when you had, I can't remember if it was South Africa or, or Zimbabwe or, or which African area it was in, but the British were, were down there and fighting one of the, the major African tribes down there for queen and country, essentially. And this one British convoy got way out of position and ended up getting, it was basically a Custer's last stand situation. Gotcha. Where the, I can't remember if it was the Maasai or, or which tribe it was, surrounded them and just o- overran their position. And really none of, none, of the, none of the soldiers made it back. But then there was another outpost that some of the British soldiers had made it to. That was just this little field hospital, basically. And they had enough time to set up a perimeter and just enough time to set up a perimeter and sort of fortify the field, the, this little field hospital, which was in a valley of all places, which is a terrible place to defend. Hmm. And to add, just to add to the scene, the, the commander of this little field hospital had been written up by his superiors for being not worthless, but pretty close to worthless in, in their eyes. Like a, as a coward? Or just just in general? Not as coward, just he was very unremarkable, ah. basically. But he just followed procedure and, and fortified the place, made sure that their ammo supplies were in a very easy place for everyone to access. And, and as the African army, which was full of very experienced fighting men, came over the hill, they, they charged in and they, the British soldiers, the small contingent of British soldiers, ended up holding off this whole army until the African army that had been running around fighting for over 24 hours at that point between taking out the convoy and then going in it and attacking this place. They've been they've been going for 24 hours without food and they essentially just ran out of energy to continue attacking the little field hospital. Hmm. And that ended up being the turning point actually in the war because they lost so many of of their men mm-hmm. trying to take this little field hospital commanded by this unremarkable captain in the British army. That's fascinating. And and I mean and so so the thing that really pertains to our conversation is is just how the the african army that was trained to run like long distances and and fight Mm -hmm. they had been going long enough exerting themselves that they didn't have the energy to physically continue the attack yeah i don't know that i would be any better off in that situation than you right next to me maybe i would because just just because of what we've already said but there's a a good chance i think there's a different kind of energy like if you and i were essentially like lone hunters chasing uh, a deer and we had to chase it for you know three days like we've said 
that's a different kind of energy than charging a hill or charging a fortified position. Right, right. There's a different energy system. Yeah, and it's even like fast twitch, slow twitch kind of. I wonder if you perform one better than the other when you're depleted or you're, you know, you're running off of stores. I kind of want to move on into the we can either I can give you I can give you an update of where I'm at in the Lord of the Rings. That sounds good. <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious as to where you're at. And, I'm and I've almost seeing yeah so i've almost finished the fellowship of the ring gandalf has just sacrificed himself right for the for the good of the party or company is how is how tolkien refers to him yes and yeah it's it's really good i'm i haven't uh read a fictional book in a while like visually i usually i usually listened to them so yeah i'm really enjoying that tolkien's a very good writer um, I don't know what was wrong with me in the past that I, I had a hard time with it. Although I have heard Tyler complain about how Frodo gets kind of whiny, I think, in the second book. And that's that's not as fun. Huh. But it's been it's been pretty fast-paced. I, I feel like he got way more whiny in the movie than he actually was in the book. Yeah, no, and I'm, yeah, just, I'm, I'm fine with that. There's like a handful of things that I have thought about how Tolkien is moving the story along. Oh, interesting. Without dialogue. Yeah, so I read it from that perspective as well. And I kind of know that... And this is from watching the movies, and maybe I should try uh-huh. to get this out of my head, but I'm kind of looking for signs of, of a kind of betrayal. Right, right. And I can see... I don't remember the actor's name who played Boromir, but I'm like watching out for that. Sean... Sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's Sean. <laughs> you going to try to remember it? I may be confusing... Actually, I may be confusing that with uh, Sam's character. Yeah. I don't think that the... It's like I haven't seen... I don't think Frodo... I don't... Elijah Wood has been in, like, anything since Lord of the Rings. He has, but it hasn't been anything good. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. But yeah, it's... it's. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. I, I don't remember anything about any... I don't remember anything from the Minds of Moria related to the dwarves from the book the hobbit uh, but that was that was obviously in the fellowship like in the book does that make sense so specifically about in the movie they don't reference Balin. yeah Balin. that's it well, well they, they sort of do because they come up to the tomb and that's the kind of climax or the start of the climax scene in the movie is when they come to the tomb and they make that last stand mm-hmm. yeah boromir comes back and they've, they've got a cave troll that sort of thing um which is that whole sequence is far more extended in the book mm-hmm. which i think that was one of the things the movie did really well actually was the way they condensed that section and made it far more visually stimulating yeah and i i just uh like in the book you can you can pass through time in a sentence or you can drag minutes out into paragraphs like right right you have a time is way more flexible because it is in our memory right mm-hmm. We, if not very much has happened, part of why it feels like February was so long ago at this point is because so much has happened, you know, in real life. Right. Whereas the, maybe the previous six months to that, there was some significant things, but I probably remember three significant things from previous to February to like, you know, September. There just wasn't for in my life, there just wasn't a ton Especially not right. that's, that was in the zeitgeist. The cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, the cultural zeitgeist. So that's in the book. They're in the minds of Moria for days. Days and days. Yes. I think that, well, and they're in Rivendell for months. Yep. Right? And I, I think that Tolkien does a really good job of stretching and compressing time as as needs dictate for him, for the story. Yeah. 
so yeah that's where i'm at right now i yeah i'm looking forward to the two towers that's next yep and the return of the king is last and then on to the silmarillion no probably not which i actually haven't read all of that yet well that's because it's not a it's a it's not the same at all i think it was more of a reference book for tolkien i did read that section of the silmarillion Um, is there an actual story in it there's an actual very poetic story it's it's about the creation of middle earth in the back they just have the history of of middle earth Hmm. which i was able to get into that whenever i read it but i was not able to get into the poetry section which i think had to do with me being a junior high boy and so the i don't understand chronological record of all the battles and kingdom changeovers and that sort of thing were were far more interesting to me than uh, poetry because of the violence probably Hmm. well i was also reading a lot of military history at the time and just yeah historical charts of like when especially world war ii like when when the japanese bomb Pearl Harbor and then how that related to the attack on the Philippines, which then led to us regrouping, going to Guadalcanal, uh, the Battle of Midway, and, and then working our way up the Pacific. Have you ever seen that chart of Napoleon's march to Moscow? Yes. That's a fantastic. I don't know, for whatever reason, while you were talking about that, it made me think of it. Yeah, that's that was actually presented to me by a guy who uh, is... is is in heavily involved with Nike's internal marketing. So, mm. so they don't just market externally, they market internally, like I think all good companies should to instill a corporate culture. And this guy had attended some talks by a professor from Princeton at the time. I don't know if he's still alive at this point, but this guy at Princeton had, had emphasized, it was Edward Sharp. Or, no, not Edward Sharp. Edward Tufty was a guy from from Princeton, and he had cr- created a syllabus for for um, seminars on how to effectively present visual information, and mm-hmm. that's one of kind of the classic examples of an effective presentation of visual ins- information because you have the size of Napoleon's army depicted in chronological time and in geographical based on geographical locations yeah there's some it's a pretty amazing little little graphic we'll uh we'll have to put that in the a link to that in the show notes yeah it shouldn't be a big deal you just search napoleon's march chart and i bet i bet it would come right up yeah you could also add edward tufty's stuff edward tufty yeah we'll we'll get together on on what what is going in show notes and what isn't sounds good i think pretty much everything that we reference will if there's a if there's a place for it then then we'll link to that because that's how SEO works, right? Yep. Maybe, maybe not. Partially. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I don't understand how computers work. One of the things I'd wanted to talk about was billable hours. Yeah. And it kind of backfired on me, actually. I was thinking about it this week. And we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but I I went through these different kind of areas The as a husband, as a Christian, as a man. And, I, and the reason I have that third category is there were there were things that it's like just as a human like what do I you know taking care of my house taking care of myself right like these these are not not particular to being a man but particular to just me and I basically made ended up making this list of things that I felt were high high value things and they some of them worked together really well and some of them some of it was just a creating a list of 
here's the things I need to do to feel valuable or successful. And then oh, interesting. because I couldn't do all of them, ended up feeling garbagey and had a <laughs> had a bit of a moment earlier this week. And it was just, it was interesting. I talked to my wife about it and uh, she was like, well, that doesn't seem as helpful as you made it sound. But I think the question, I think, I think I, and I found a way to not answer the question basically, but as a, you know, to, to give people kind of a framework for billable hours. So uh, you are an engineer and you have to answer emails as part of your, your job. Your, your boss says, hey, Kyle, I need you to do this thing or I need, uh, I need something from you. And you say, sure, here's the answer or I can, I can do this then. Is that somewhat accurate? Right. I'm not sure if we want to go into this yet, but circling back to Naval's podcast one of his points is and and others have made this point as well as we we want to try and think about areas of our lives that create value beyond what we're just doing in the moment Mm -hmm. so we shouldn't we should try and look for areas of time leverage where an act well before we get before we go there i would like to have a framework for billable hours okay so i mean we can use a different example other i we can use an example that you and i talked about earlier this week okay as an engineer you are not being paid to set up your voicemail not particularly right like that's not why they hired you but that is something that you had to do this week right so in your job in your different uh, so you're you're not being paid to do that thing, but it is something that you need to do. So the idea of billable hours is what are you doing that is the most valuable, you know, at your work? Like why were you hired, or what what value are you providing outside of the the initial moment? Is that is that kind of what you were getting at, or kind of what you understood? Um, I think so. I, I think kind of taking the example of getting my my. Uh voicemail setup that activity is actually there's there is an element of that where that one 15 minute act leads to the creation of an asset which is then useful to me and others at work because i i put in that 15 minutes so there is value that's created that gets to be used long term, which which is why it was worth doing in the time. Okay, so you would do you think that should count? I mean, using this, using the what we've already talked about, or even just the framework of billable hours, you would count that because it creates long term value. Right. You're trying to focus on what is it that I was actually hired to do. What value do I bring to the company that other people at the company don't have or, or what void am I filling? Sure. Specifically. I think also I'm, you know, if you think of... What am I delivering? Yeah. What am I delivering? Like if you're a lawyer, your billable hours is pretty clear what you're being, fairly clear anyway, what you're being paid to do. So as an engineer, I, I can I can tell you that what I'm being paid to do is I'm being paid to create documentation in essence. So that documentation includes um, 3D and 2D CAD models that I can send to suppliers to produce parts. Okay. It's documentation on tests that have been completed and passed and how much margin was, so how much space was there between what 
the test was rated for and when the device actually failed. So having that documentation stored in a place where uh, managers and product owners can, we, we call the people who who own, who are managing the, the particular products development, the product owner, where they can mm-hmm. look and, and verify that the device that they're going to be shipping will actually meet the customer's needs. That's so interesting. And then on top of that, the documentation for the actual work instructions for for how the the parts that I sent out the the 2D and 3D files for will be assembled and then, and I work with other people other engineers on on how to actually do that. But those are three areas of documentation that I am responsible to produce. Yeah, and that's your primary like job function is is the documentation? Yes. That is not at all what I had in my mind for what you did. And maybe I'm thinking in a just a different way, but it's the same thing. I, I'm wondering if that's the case. What, what are you thinking in the... Yeah. Gosh, I'm trying to... Yeah, huh. So... I guess I was kind of thinking of new product development if I was going to put it in a in a single phrase like that or right. you know you know right. designing parts how do you define what that new product is though how do you define what those pro- what those parts are documentation exactly <laughs> huh I guess I just I just wouldn't have yeah I wouldn't have, wouldn't have talked about it the way that you just did but that's your that's your bread and butter so you're going to use language that engineers know and you know, use day in, day out, whereas I'm I'm not. But it's interesting to hear you talk about those tests and different things because I look at that stuff all the time when I'm looking at specifications for for the different... Ratings on pipe and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so more recently it's been mechanical and plumbing and electrical stuff, although I know with the electrical stuff I'm just, like, very ignorant. And I... But I'll, I'll still look at the tests to verify that either the ASTM standard has been met or is at least mentioned. Right, right. And if it's a different ASTM standard, I, I don't know enough about those standards in order to say this standard is more strict than this standard. And so I say to the subcontractor who knows his business better than I do, is this, does this meet? And is this, you know, or did you send me the wrong product or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, okay, that's... Interesting. So then, so you, you take this idea of billable hours, and you it's easy with, it's easier with when you're actually being paid to do something. But to answer the question as a husband or as a father or as a Christian, like the idea of money exchange in those kind of areas I just mentioned, uh, is like ridiculous, right? A little bit, but well, it's time exchange. Sure. But, you know, there's a lot of things that we do that we are necessary. I think they're, you know, have you ever, I don't know who came up with this framework, but just the important versus urgent. So there's important, not important, urgent, non-urgent. And if you make a, a two by two matrix. The Eisenhower matrix. Yeah. Did, did Eisenhower do that then? He was one of the people who popularized it. My guess is he did not actually come up with it, but. The Eisenhower matrix then. Mm-hmm. You know what? What is in the important, not urgent category for yourself as a as a husband, as a father, as a Christian, as a as a man? Right. Because because you're not being you know it's not it's not necessarily that 
you don't always get to do that good thing or that best thing because there are urgent things that are important, but those usually get done because they're urgent, right? Well, and that's one of the things that the Naval podcast actually talked about was how do you take those urgent or put more things into the, put more urgent things into the not important category and delegate or outsource them. Delegate or disregard. Yeah, delegate or disregard them so that you can give the attention that you that those urgent important or just important things deserve Mm -hmm. yeah i think one thing as a as a christian that is or and as a it like it hits two of the things that are not it's important not urgent is something you and and tyler have both done recently or i I got the idea from you and realized that that was missing, but doing doing worship was just me and my wife. Right. Um, and that's been really helpful, but it's not an urgent thing. In fact, we uh, we missed we missed twice this week. We had other things come up, and I did a bad job, which it's not going to make the house burn down, but if we miss two weeks in a row or something or one more time in a row, it, it becomes, you know, it's a habit that we have to then again, you know, rebuild. Right, right. And I, w- I would encourage you that we don't do it every night, but at the same time, like uh, James Clear points out, we try not to miss two in a row. Yeah, well, and we I didn't start out planning to do it every night. I plan to do it Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. I'm thinking that Friday night is not a fantastic night to have, you know, if you're going to start out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the one thing I would say, though, is is if you have people over to your house, mm-hmm. include them in it. Yeah, and I had almost, I had even thought, we were went up to, we, we <laughs> tried to do a social distance uh, dinner with, with some, some close friends. Uh-huh. They live in Podunk, the middle of nowhere. It took us almost an hour to get there, and this is not any David's. Anyway. Podunk, middle of nowhere, it sounds high risk for uh, the virus. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that they've seen anybody in three months except for their two of their kids and well, their their daughter and son in law and their other daughter lives in Texas, so I don't think that they've seen her. I do not remember where was I what was I talking about? Shoot. You were talking about going up going up there and we were talking about uh family worship. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had considered on the way I was thinking asking them if they would be interested in doing that because they, they love the Lord. Yeah. But then I didn't I forgot. And so, yeah, so I just missed it. Small steps. Yeah, small steps. I, and I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any value really in beating myself up over it, but totally. maybe we'll, we'll do that this evening and we'll, we'll do two back to back. We'll do Saturday, Sunday in order to get back in the swing of things. Yeah. I do think it kind of falls into that category. Remember James Clear and Atomic Habits was talking about the, the guy who would just, who was trying to build up the habit of going to the gym. He'd just go to the gym for two minutes go to the parking lot, walk in, step on a treadmill, step off the treadmill, walk back out, get in his car, drive away. And and it sounds like his competency and motivation were both low at that point. And so he right, lowered right. the habit into uh, something that he could accomplish and had the desire to, or, you know, the, the motivation to do. Right. And and that's where I think it's, it's worth just saying, hey, we're going to read a verse and we're just going to sit down, read a verse and then get up <laughs> and do that like every day. Hmm, that's an idea. I have to, I'll have to consider that. I don't see any issues with that. I mean, obviously you need to talk about that. Talk this over with your wife to make sure she's on board. No, no, no. I'm the boss. But you're, you're responsible. Yes. <laughs> 
no i think uh, yeah that is i the thing is which is a scary thing oh yeah yeah i was thinking i was thinking about that recently as like you know as a as a christian there is a a different responsibility on me and a different responsibility on right i in some ways i think she actually has the harder responsibility you're you're gonna have to develop that because loving loving someone is Christ loved the church. I, I'm not sure how you get harder than that. In a disagreement, if I make a decision that I legitimately believe is the best choice, let's uh-huh. just say, and yes. my wife believes that it is not the best choice, yes, she is called, I think, and disagree with me if you want, I'd be curious, I think she is called to follow my lead. Absolutely. And at least in our culture right now, that is, I think, I, I think for her, very hard. Very countercultural. Very countercultural, very difficult, um, especially since we are not in a, a small town or, a, I mean, our culture is Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And it's a, you know, it's a very... I might, I might even say anti-conservative area. Clark County, not as much. So question, if, if you end up being wrong, who, who has to take responsibility for that? Oh, me, definitely, definitely. If, 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 if she ends up being wrong and you guys go with, go with your decision, who takes responsibility for that? I mean, it's... Is there any responsibility to be taken? Uh, I mean, the thing is, is I wouldn't take any joy in being right in that situation would you even think of would you even think about the, that no because i just want the i just want what's best for her but if you make the wrong decision what happens uh i, I bear the burden for that right but i'm used to that but i think that's that's where the difficulty the the increased difficulty comes for men i yeah and and maybe i'm maybe i'm discounting the culture side of it too much maybe maybe not yeah that's a uh... Hmm. I, I'm just thinking of it as far as who bears the risk. But in many ways, like we, I am, I'm made to do that. I am used to doing that in my work and I'm used to dealing with, I'm used to having difficult conversations with a lot of people and holding and holding men and being held by other men to bear uh-huh. the, bear the burden of bad and good decisions. Right. And I don't know that my wife is able to practice I don't know that anybody at this point is has a an area of practice where they submit to decisions that they think are really poor unless I mean except for maybe our employer employee relationships. Right, right. And you're kind of being paid to, you know, you're you're being paid to to do that whereas, you know, and I also want to say that I'm speaking in ideals and in that I I, I know that in many ways I fall flat on my face in the $30 is probably some of the best money I've spent on this project so far. Can I square you 15? No, I didn't discuss it with you. Did you see the, did you, <laughs> I, I made a decision and we didn't discuss it. So now it's my money. If you, if you try to square me 15, I'm going to reject it. Just FYI. Can I square your wife 15? Uh, she doesn't have a square. Oh. Ha. Tricked you. I'll have some random person you know square you like $15. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. So the microphone I've had for like, I bought year two years ago at this point or a year and a half ago uh-huh so to count that well we both got our own microphone i know but, but you bought it specific i can say words hold on 
you bought it specifically for this project. Right. Then I didn't. You also, I mean, the reason I would be fine going in half and half with you on Ferrite is because it is, it's not just making your life easier it's also making my life easier because of how easy it makes editing the podcast for you do you know what would make my life easier what if you bought a stand and a um pop filter okay i'll go <laughs> spend 15 dollars on that at least i think it'll cost you more the guy i bought the mic from said it only cost 15 dollars. <laughs> dude do it in it to win it and i really do think if you wear just a face mask are you wearing any ppe right now by the way because i've got gloves goggles mask on good for you there's a fly in my room and it's just bothering the crap out of me um i may have to get away from like (laughs) i I may have to go kill it before i can continue um i will let you know let me start again i got it i heard well done (laughs) sorry i'm sorry you can start again and i'll just cut that part (laughs) i'm just so proud of myself